Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. We're going to wrap up the Compass series today. And, you know, we all, when we have our hearts set on something, we want what we want, don't we? And uh, there are certain things probably that you've set your heart or mind on and decided, I'm going to get that or have that or do that one way or the other you know some of you it's a trip to hawaii for others of you it's a ring for others of you it's a car or a motorcycle and i'm gonna have it i want it and i just know god's telling me that i should get it so sometimes we want something so bad and it's amazing where we see god and where we hear from god isn't it well i've seen the color red spelled out three times today and i've been looking at that red corvette and i just know That I could, see, that's my rationale. I just know I could do the Lord's work so much faster in a Corvette, right? I just know I could. Um, I I have sat with Christians, and I have listened to them tell me things about what God wants them to do and the rationale behind, and they're just sure God is speaking to them. And, And, you know, they're supposed to marry this person, or they're supposed to take this job, or they're supposed to buy this house or this car or this fill in the blank. And they're sincere, Man, are they confused, and, and they, you know, they, they're just sure that God wants them to do a specific thing, and oftentimes they do it, and it ends in disaster. Two weeks ago, we made this statement, God has a will for our life, and God wants us to know that will more than we want to know it. I think that we don't really believe that's true. I think that we think that that God's playing some kind of shell game with us, that his will, he wants it to be a little mysterious, doesn't really want it to be revealed. Somehow we get it in our head that he just wants us to wander aimlessly through, through life with no real thought for how to get from point A to point B. How do I do this? And we just think that God's trying to hold out on us and hide something from us. And, and we've said that there are a couple of guardrails that God uses to set up how we can determine his will. Because he does, he wants us to know his will. Uh, we, we talked about his providential will, that, that, that will of God that is going to happen no matter what, whether we pray for it or not, whether we pray against it, it, it doesn't matter, it's going to happen. An example of the providential will of God would be Jesus dying on the cross, okay? That was going to happen. The, God had determined it was going to happen, didn't make any difference whether any of us wanted it to or not or tried to pray against it or stop it. The providential will of God was Jesus was going to die on the cross, just was the way it was going to be. Then we talked about his moral will, those do's and don'ts, the things that God says, I don't want you to do that. I do want you to do this, the things that he's kind of required of us all. And then somewhere between there, we're going to discover between the providential will of God and the moral will of God, we discover God's personal will for our life. And we said last week that one of the big things that God uses to guide us is the counsel of other believers. And we talked about how to seek counsel, not last week, week before, talked about how to seek counsel, how to ask questions. What kind of questions can we ask of someone that, uh, that walks with God, that knows God, that might be able to give us some guidance and some help? And, and you know, because here's the deal. A lot of you in the room are fairly new Christians. I mean, some of you haven't been doing this very long, and you, you, don't, you don't know this book very well. Goodness, a lot of us have been Christians for a long time and would say, well, we don't know this as well as we ought to. And, and you think, but I've got a decision to make by Thursday, or I've got a decision to make in three weeks, and I'm kind of up against it to be able to figure out the providential will of God and the moral will of God, and Brett, that's kind of big to me, 
Is there a fast track? Is there a shortcut? Is there a, a way I can get to it that, that makes sense and, and can help me to know what God wants? And we said that one of the ways was to just talk to a believer and, and see if they couldn't help us in some way um, fast track the decision. And, and that, that, that God has used that many times in my life, probably in yours, where he's spoken through someone who really knew his will and knew what to do and, and was able to help us make a decision. Another thing that God uses in our lives to guide us and direct us is this book, the Bible. And I know it's imposing, and I know it looks big, and, you know, I hear all the excuses. It's, I don't have time, and, and, you know, I don't understand it, and I open it, and I don't know where to start. And I I hear all those things, and I understand a little bit. Um, Unfortunately, the Bible gets really misused, and there's a tendency at times to to overlook this as a tool. There's a tendency to just kind of look past it. In fact, every cult that you've ever heard of used the scriptures probably. Um, if you were to remember the Waco tragedy, you remember the guy David Koresh and the, the Branch Davidian cult? Um, David Koresh got his start as being a, a phenomenal Bible teacher. And people would flock to hear him and he would take his Bible and he would stand there and he would preach, and he had this ability to be able to convince people to do things. And what they would have said was, he's teaching us from God's Word, but the things that he was having them do, as he taught them from God's Word, clearly were not um, within God's will, but he was able to manipulate and use Scripture. So, um, you know, you have to be careful. And That whole nightmare, he led his people from God's Word. Um, And people would say, well, it has to be from God, it's from the Bible. But Unfortunately, it's been misused in, in, in just about every way you can imagine. And yet, it is a primary, I would tell you, it is a primary, if not the primary way, through which God re- leads us and directs us. So, I want to talk this morning about, uh, and, and ask the question, how is it that God leads us through the scriptures, and how are we to use them to determine and discern God's will for our life? Um, King David agreed with this. In fact, I want to put something up on the wall for you this morning. Here's what King David said about God's word in in terms of directing him. He said, your statutes are my delight. They are my, and I want you to say that word with me, counselors. They are my counselors. In other words, David said, when I need counsel from God, I go to his word. And if we were to look into the Bible that David had, it, it was really just a slice of what we have. And yet through the law and the teachings of Moses, he found comfort in God's word. And so in the same way, we're to use God's word to find God's will for our life. Now, how do you do that? That's the question. You know, this book is big. It's imposing. I don't understand it. I don't, you know, it's words in there I don't get. Um, I've had a lot of you leave church and, you, and you'll say something kind of similar to, you know, Brett, when you get up there and read it and say something about it, it makes sense to me. But when I do that on my own, it never makes sense like it does when, when you're reading it. Well, that's not because I'm some genius. You have to understand, I get a lot of help with this. I, I get a lot of help doing what I'm doing. And um, I do what I want you to do. I want you to listen to me, and then I want you to take what I teach you and go teach somebody else. That's the best way to learn. And, and, and that's the way it's going to make the most sense to you. Um, one way, I guess, to look at the Bible, and, and, and I know some of you do this, to try and help you make decisions and to get counsel and things, 
we look in the Bible and we find people that had a parallel situation to what we're going through, right? We'll look and, 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 and some people do that and that might be helpful, but it's not really all that helpful. Um, the culture makes that difficult for one thing. The, the circumstances that they found themselves in many times are way different than the circumstances we find ourselves in. And we might see a s- slight parallel, but oftentimes culture and circumstances are way different. Here's what I mean by that. Chances are pretty good that God is not going to ask you to build an ark and put, you know, two of every kind of animal on that. I mean, I look around the room, we all got different faces, that he made 600 different kinds of beetles, no snow, two snowflakes are the same. He just doesn't really do things the same way over and over again. He's probably not going to use something like that. He's probably not going to speak to you through a talking donkey. Probably not. Probably not. Wives, don't do it. Don't, don't do it. Don't do it. I mean, the stories are interesting, right? They're motivating. You're probably not going to be asked to march around a city seven times and blow a trumpet. That's probably not what God's going to say to you. Most of the circumstances that the Bible characters found themselves in are so different than ours that it's difficult to find a parallel. And sometimes it can even be dangerous to find a parallel. People have gotten themselves (laughs) into some awful messes because they found a story and they thought that God was going to have them mimic that story. So for just a few minutes this morning, I want to talk about how God might have us use his word in helping us to determine his will for our lives. Let's start with this verse from the book of Isaiah. This is probably familiar to many of you. And as you look at it, I want you to look at this verse with this in mind. I want you to think about how it relates to decision-making And think about how it it, it works in terms of the decisions that you have to make. Here's the verse. Isaiah 55. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. Now, what God's saying is, I don't think the way you do. And I don't do things the way you do things. What comes very naturally to you and what seems logical to you may not be my way at all. Verse 9 says this, as the heavens are higher than the earth so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. In other words, God says, before you start making decisions and before you start asking God, what is your will, you need to know right up front, we don't think alike, we don't act alike. We just, we just don't. And, and the implication is that what is naturally intuitive to us, what just comes natural to us may actually lead us astray. The situations where we're using our powers of reason and our powers of logic, oftentimes when it comes to discerning God's will, our logic may be illogical. That that when we're trying to make decisions, especially as it relates to something like relationships, and our heart is telling us one thing and our head's telling us something else, it may very well be that it's not the direction that God would have us to lean at all. That we cannot necessarily trust our hearts And we can't even really trust our ability to reason, and we certainly cannot trust our intuition sometimes when it comes to discovering God's will. On all three accounts, we're going to come up short much of the time because God says, your thoughts are not my thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. Think about it this way. When you are making a decision, there are three things that come to bear on decisions as you make decisions. Number one is the context. That comes to bear on the decisions you make, the context. Number two is perspective, and number three is outcome. 
When it comes to decision making, it's all about context, perspective, and outcome. Every time we make a decision, we have some sort of context, and and usually our context is limited. We need to understand that, that our context is not an infinite context. It, It has limits. It's limited to what we know. It's limited to what we experience. So right off the bat, there are limitations to what we can decide and how we can make decisions. In terms of perspective, our perspective on any decision is oftentimes always impacted by our desires and our fears. You think about it. The way you approach decisions, the the perspective that you have as you're making decisions are greatly influenced by your desires and your fears. You make decisions much of the time. I do based on desires and fears. If I do this, this might happen. I'm going to make this decision because I want that. And and so because of desires and fears, we have this perspective problem. Um, And in terms of outcomes, it's just a guess. You know, we don't know how things are going to go. You know, you say, I think this will happen. If I do this, this is going to happen. But I don't really know. But what if you and I had the opportunity to have a context as big as all human experience? What, what if our context was that big? And what if we had a perspective that started with eternity past, came to the present, and moved into eternity future, and you were able to peer into the mind of the one who knows what the future is going to be? And what if we had the opportunity to peer into the mind that knew the outcomes, that knew how everything's going to turn, that knew that the decision that you're making today or this week or, or, you know, in the next month, this big decision that you've got to make, what if you could hear from the mind of the one who knows already how that's going to turn out? If you had the advantage of those three things, it would be very difficult to make a wrong decision, wouldn't it? And yet, in the Bible, what God has given us is a slice of his thinking. He has given us a piece of his mind, so to speak, He has given us more here than we're really ever going to be able to comprehend. I mean, I've been a Christian a long time, and there's still a bunch of stuff in here. When I read it, I go, man, I don't know what that means. Um, but, But there is a sense in which God has said, I want to broaden your context. I want to add to your experience the experience of hundreds of thousands of men and women who have come before you and who knew me. I want to heal your perspective. I want to move you beyond emotionally where you are so that your perspective is what it needs to be in order to make the right decision. And he says, in terms of the outcomes, I want you to learn to trust me because here is page after page of people who did what they did because they trusted me, and here's page after page of what happened to people when they didn't trust me. I want you to be able to see what happens to people when they make decisions based on their fears and based on their desires. And what God has invited us to do is to look into his thoughts and into his ways and to become so familiar with his thoughts and so familiar with his ways that over time our thoughts become his thoughts and our ways become his ways. And in so doing, we learn to sort out God's will for our life. Now, do you remember when you were... I I did this in first service and there weren't... How many of you forgot to set your clocks back or, or ahead? this morning and you're at, you should have been at first service you know, heads down like there weren't many in first service this morning we kind of anticipated that and when I kind of went through this next part I thought this would be funny and it was just like crickets out there but do you remember do you remember when you were growing up 
And you had mom and dad figured out. You remember that? You had mom and dad figured out. You, you had a friend that would say, hey, come on, come on over to my house. And you'd said, nah, I can't come to your house. Well, why not? Ask your mom. See if your mom will let you come. No, I, I, trust me, I'm not going to be able to come to your house. Well, do you want to come? Yeah, I'd love to come over, but dude, mom's not going to let me come over. Well, how do you know unless you ask? And you said, because I know, right? You just knew. There were certain things that you knew about mom and dad because you had them figured out. There were certain things you would say, man, my dad is going to kill me when he finds out what I've done. And your friend would say, well, how do you know? Because I limped for a week the last time I did this because he almost did kill me because of what I did. You know, just remember when as a kid you had them figured out and you knew if you went to mom first, right, and let her work on dad and soften dad a little bit because we have a saying around here, there's no talk like pillow talk. And you knew that if you could just get mom convinced, she could do the the heavy lifting on dad and and that that would help. And, And you just had them figured out. You knew how to work the system and you knew what was going on and what the deal was. You knew there were certain things you shouldn't even ask for, right? You knew that getting caught doing certain things, the big five, if you did one of the big five, you may as well just move out of the house because there's no way that you're going to make it, right? You knew. You had them figured out. And then as you became a teenager, you learned how to play the game with mom and dad because you knew your parents, and you could guess, and you could discern their will in a lot of different environments because you knew them. And now... As parents, we forget that our kids are upstairs in their rooms figuring us out, trying to, you know, saying, if I can just get mom to talk to dad, you know, this whole thing's going to go my direction. Well, there's a sense in that that God has invited us into that, I'm going to use the expression game. It makes it sound like he's trying to keep something from us. He's not. But there's a sense in which God says, look, I don't want to be a mystery to you. I don't want you to have to get off alone and get real quiet and say, God, the next thing that, you, that, that pops into my mind is going to be you speaking to me. And the next thing that pops into your mind is anchovies. And you're like, what's that mean? God, I don't want to be like that. He, he doesn't want you to say, well, you know, I saw this billboard and the first red letter in the billboard was the first letter of my name and the last two numbers on the billboard were the last two numbers and her phone number. Clearly God wants me to ask her out. No, dude, that's not God speaking to you. I don't know what that is, but that's not God speaking to you. And God's, you know, God hears us rationale, reason like that, and he's, he just, I think God says, what? You, you heard me say What? I'm God. I created communication. I'm the great communicator. I know how to speak to you, and I'm giving you a heads up. You don't have to wait on me. Here it is. Peer into my thoughts. Peer into my ways and figure out my mind and my will for your life. Become familiar with my ways and my thoughts. Your ways will begin to mirror my ways, and your actions will begin to mirror my actions. You'll think the way I think. And you'll become like me and you'll be able to figure it out. Which is, God would say, my desire for your life. God wants us to know what to do. Have you ever been in a place where you're trying to make a decision and you begin to think of somebody that you have an immense amount of respect for? And, And as you play 
your situation out, only they're the one making the decision. And you can kind of close your eyes and get a sense of how it would go, what the decision would be, and what, how, what would be important to them, just based on what you know about them. And you find yourself saying, you know, I wonder what so-and-so would do in this situation. And a light comes on for you. And you go, that's what I need to do. Some of us have taken our greatest cues from someone like that. Someone, some of us have made some of our best decisions because we emulated somebody that we looked up to and we thought, you know what? They have such wisdom. They have, they have such a knack for making the right decision. If I just put myself in their shoes a little bit, that's the way it's going to go because we respected them and we knew their ways. God says, look, I'll, it can be the same with me. Your ways can become more like my ways and your thoughts can become more like my thoughts. I think the Bible has been given to us primarily for this purpose. Not simply to know God's moral will, uh, although it's important to know that, and not just simply to know God's providential will, it's important to know that, but it gets more personal that our ways would become more like his ways and our thoughts would become more like his thoughts. Here's how the Apostle Paul said the very same thing in the New Testament. In Romans he said this, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then, and he, you know, that could have been translated, then and only then, you will be able to, to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now the words there, test and approve, in Greek that's just one word, and that one word is translated to mean sort out or discern, to sort out or to discern. Paul says, look, if you will begin to renew your mind, then you will be able to discern, you will be able to figure it out, you will be able to discover what God's will is, his good, his pleasing, and his perfect will. And once again in the New Testament, we're reminded that God has kind of put the ball in our court. We have the opportunity, the honor, the privilege to renew our minds and to renew our thinking so that we think more like God, so that we see more like God sees, and that it's easier for us to know what to do and, and, and that it's in accordance with his will. Now, I think that's pretty cool. It, it, this is what it's not about. It's not about getting alone in the middle of the night and listening for some strange sound that you think is God speaking to you. That's not what it is. It's not, it's not about you know driving at 70 miles an hour on on highway 70 and trying to read the billboard and figure out what god's trying to say to you you know as you pass the semi that's not how you discern god's will god says look i've given you my word so that you would learn to think as i think and to act as i act and see as i see because my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts now i doubt very much of what i just said to you is news to you i, I doubt I mean, if you've gone to church at all, you've probably heard a lot of that, and you think, Brad, I, I know that. But here's the three big ways that God's ways are higher than our ways and that his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Number one, it's in relationships. Isn't it strange? You do what you think you ought to do intuitively in a relationship. And then you look in the Bible, and it seems like sometimes God has just gone in a completely different direction. In fact, sometimes the reason you sometimes struggle in a relationship is that you're doing what is intuitive, what, what comes logically to you, and God is basically saying, hey, no, no, come, come go this way. You're, you're going just the wrong direction to, to what I want you to do. 
And, and we think, well, God, that doesn't even make any sense. Or he would say, of, of course it makes sense. My thoughts aren't your thoughts. My ways aren't your ways. But I created this thing, and I know the outcome. See, that's the thing. God knows what the outcome's going to be. That's the one thing we don't have. So relationships is one way we get this wrong. Another way is finances. Good grief. What some of us have done intuitively, you know, when we say, I know what I'm doing with my money, and then we look up and we don't have any money. You know, it's like, but, but, but you would have sworn up and down, I know what I'm doing. I'm intuitive about this. I know how to handle my money. But of course there's a challenge. Our ways aren't his ways, and we don't think the way he thinks. And then thirdly, in our physical life, the way we view life and our health and our body, you know, the way we view it sometimes is so dramatically opposed to what God says sometimes should be. Just a, for instance, is it just me that thinks that when there's a, an apple pie and whipped cream and ice cream on the table that it's God's will for me to have like half of it, right? I mean, it's God's will, right? God's like, no, that's not my will, you know? That's not, look at your gut, Brett. You can clearly see that's not my will. Um, in fact, our experience, our experience is if you don't have any relationship problems and you don't have any finance problems and you don't have any health problems, in our way of thinking, we don't have any problems, do we? Right? We just think, well, it's all good. If we can just eliminate those, anything else is trivial, isn't it? I mean, the fact that somebody's squeezing the toothpaste from the wrong end, that's real. we can overcome that. I can deal with that. I can figure that out. But in those three areas, relationships, money, and health, our tendency is to go with what is intuitive and logical. So we treat relationships as a means to our end. We see money as our money. We, we live our physical lives as if, you know, it's just about us and it's not about anybody else. No wonder we get ourselves in such a mess when it comes to decision making because in every way, but especially those three, relationships, finances, and health, his thoughts aren't our thoughts. His ways aren't our ways. And as we begin to ask the question, God, what is your will for my life? We have got to create this category of the unknown. We've, we've got to create this category where we would say, God, I see three ways here, but your ways are not my ways. And your thoughts are not my thoughts. There may be a fourth way that I don't even see. God, would you show me the fourth way? If it's a fourth way, I want to know it. We've got to create this category where we would say, you know, God, I see two ways. And for me to go this direction, this path looks destructive. It looks devastating. But God, I may be seeing this all wrong. Speak to me. I want to know, is this, the, is this what you want for me? Because it, intuitively, I'm drawn over here. But it may not be that way. My, my thoughts are not his thoughts. My ways are not his ways. In our decision making, we've got to get to a process where that's the presupposition that we're making. Dear God, please, through this book, show me your ways. Teach me your thoughts. And, and, and God, just as I figured out mom and dad when I was a teenager, help me to figure you out. Help me to anticipate what you would have me to do because I know you so well. And I know the way you think. And I know what you value and what's important to you. I want to learn to sort it out to discern your will for my life. Specifically, Here's what I think you need to look for. As you begin to read the Bible, you have got to move beyond the way you normally read the Bible. Now, how is that? Many of us read the Bible in a touchy-feely way, right? 
we want to sit down and we want to read the Bible and we want to come across a verse that looks really good and highlighted in our Bible. And we go, oh, that's nice. Oh, what a great verse. That's wonderful. Highlight that and circle that. And we, you know, it's kind of touchy-feely for us and boy, that makes me feel really good. Some of us have been taught to read the Bible to look for the promises, right? Look for the promises that, that... God's made all kinds of promises, and when we find a promise, we go, hey, I got one! As if, you know, now we've we've got it over on God because we found the promises. He didn't want us to find them, but we found them, and because he made us a promise, now he's got to keep it, right? And so, God, you have to do this because it's right here, and it says you, you made a promise. There are even books. I looked them up this week online. There are books that you can buy. I'll just give you three titles, and I didn't have to look very hard for these. God's Promises for Your Every Need. That's a book you can buy online. Here's another one. God's Promises and Answers for Your Life. Sounds good, doesn't it? Yeah, I want to read that. God's Promises. I'm going to make God do what I want God to do. How about this one? 199 Promises of God. Man, God, I got you 199 ways. I got you lassoed head and foot right? Hands and feet. I got you all wrapped up, so you've got to do what I want you to do. And it's like we read the Bible trying to leverage, get leverage on God to make him do things that we want him to do. But here is a much better thing to look for in the Bible. Not not that promises are bad or wrong. I'm not saying that. I'm simply saying that's probably not the best place for you to look. There's something better for you to look for in the Bible. Here it is. Instead of reading your Bible for promises, Read your Bible for principles. Okay? Now I'm going to spend some time explaining the difference between those two. Principles. A principle is an unchangeable truth. A principle is the way God operates. A principle is the way God has designed things to work. A principle is a timeless truth. Two things about those timeless truths. There's two things you need to know. Sometimes they describe a cause and effect relationship, and other times they predict outcomes of behaviors and attitudes. Okay? So sometimes they're going to, throughout the Bible, these principles, they describe cause and effect relationships. At other times, they, they predict the outcomes of behaviors and attitudes. The difference between a principle and a command, I want to give you that. A command says, do this. Don't do that. That's a command. You can break a command. You can violate, well, I guess you can violate a principle, but you you disobey commands. A principle says, let me tell you what's going to happen if you do X. Let me tell you what's going to happen if you don't do Y. If you'll pay real close attention week in and week out as to how I teach you, I don't teach you much. We talk a little about promises. I don't teach you much from from commands. Not that I think that commands should be dismissed. Not at all. That's not what I'm saying. Um, If you pay real close attention to what I'm doing with you every week, just about every week, what I'm doing is I'm trying to show you principles in Scripture. And I've said this to you before. I I do not view my job as, as my job is not to get up here and yell at you and make you feel guilty for the way you've lived your life. And when you sin or drive your, you know, your life soul off the road, for me to yell at you and tell you what a lousy soul driver you are and say, you lousy person you, you didn't get it right, and yell. That's not my job. 
My job is to give you principles to say, look, if, this is, if, if you want a, the life with the least amount of headwind, here it is. And, and if you want to stay on the road and out of the ditch, here are the principles that will help you do that best. And, and, and just know that if you violate this principle, the odds are pretty good that at some point you're going to drive your car into a ditch. And then my job as your pastor is to help you get your car out and get it back on the road again. Not to make you feel horrible. Not to make you feel guilty. Not to make you feel lower than a snake's belly. That's not, that's, no, nobody wants, do you think that's what God wants you to feel like? That's not what God's after with you. God, God wants you to flourish. He wants you to prosper. He, he, wants you to, he wants things to go well for you. But you don't disobey a principle. Principles are in effect at all times. Let me illustrate. You may not believe in the principle of gravity, although just look at your body and you should. You, 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 you may not like the principle of gravity. I get that. But you know what? You not believing in gravity or not liking the effects of gravity doesn't mean gravity's not in effect. I mean, gravity works whether you want it to work or not. It's just the way the world works. You want to find that out for sure? Walk off a 10-story building. And you're, you're going to, if you didn't believe in gravity before, you will at the end of the trip, right? Because it's just the way the world works. You can't get past it. That's just the way it's wired. The way he has established things for us relationally, financially, in every way of life. So consequently, the challenge for us as we open this book is to ask the question, God, I want to know your ways. I want to know your thoughts. Help me to discover and dig out the principles, the way you have put this world together and the way you have put me together. God, I want to know how that works so I can see as you see and I can think as you think and I can order my way after your way. That's what a principle is. Now let me give you some examples. That you find principles in three different ways in the Bible. Okay? Sometimes a principle is stated. I'll read you a couple of stated principles from, from Scripture. Uh, the first one I'll read to you is, you reap what you sow. The law of sowing and reaping. That what you put in, that's what you get out, right? We teach our kids that. We, we, you reap what you sow. You, you don't even have to be a Christian. You don't even have to believe in God to know that if you don't put money in your bank, you're not getting money out of your bank. That, that if you, if you, that, that you probably, you wouldn't even have to go to church. You probably would teach your kids, you reap what you sow. Now, why is that? That is the way it is because God made it that way. Because that's the way the world works. You don't get something for nothing. You put in and you get out. We all know that as adults. How about this one from the Proverbs? He who walks with the wise grows wise. The companion of fools suffers harm. It's a law. It's a principle. Any kids in the room right now, and if you've been doodling or like texting or whatever you've been doing, just give me 30 seconds, okay? Because I'm about to change your life with, with just a couple of statements. That one principle by itself could change your entire life. The people you spend the majority of your time with are going to impact how far and how high you go in life. Do you hear me? You want to go far? You want to do great things? You want to achieve? You want a great family? Do you, do all that stuff, the people you associate yourself with will determine in large part 
how that goes for you. And you know where that comes from? Right out of the Bible. He who walks with the wise grows wise. The companion of fools suffers harm. It's a principle. God made us to function that way. Here's a law. Here's a principle. Raise up your children in the way they are to go, and when they are old, they will not depart from it. The way you raise your kids matters. And that you raise them the right way when they're adults, it's a principle. They're, they're, you know, if you put the right stuff into them, you, they're, they're going to remember that. It's going to take root. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be good. Sometimes principles aren't stated. They're just implied. An example of that might be the principle of unconditional love. There's no statement in the Bible that talks about this you know, as a, as a principle of unconditional love. But as you read the Bible... The, it, the principle is clearly there. I mean, you can see it. The principle is unconditional love is the most powerful force on the human soul. That's why our mission statement is what it is. Okay, we, we talk about bringing people to Jesus. Why do we talk about that? Because we believe that if you bring someone to Jesus, the power of the unconditional love of Jesus will change a person, whether they're a believer or not a believer, whether they're a Christian or not a Christian. We all need to be brought to Jesus so that we can get his unconditional love and let him change us, because we all need to be changed. You know, you get these preachers that think that, that by yelling, that by um, calling everybody a sinner, that by pointing out individuals and individual sins, aren't you glad you don't go to that church? You get these guys that think that that's how you should do church. I, I just don't understand it. What, what I find is, you know, it was God who said, it is my patience that leads you to repentance. It's, you, know, you, you read about the unconditional love that, that, that God has for us. Romans 5, uh, yeah, 5, 8. Romans 5, 8. God demonstrates his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I mean, that's God's unconditional love. Massive doses of unconditional love has the power to change and reshape a life. That's a principle. How about this one? The principle of purity. That purity now leads to intimacy later. That if you're pure on the front end of your dating life, now you have a greater capacity for intimacy on the back end of it. That impurity can be a detriment to intimacy. That you don't have to agree with it or believe in it, but it's a principle. It's the way the world works. These things are the mind of God, and they're, they're all right here in the Bible. Sometimes, the principles are stated. Sometimes the principles are implied. Sometimes principles are illustrated through a narrative. Like there's this story illustrated in the, in the life of Jesus where the principle is that to gain authority, you have to be under authority. There's this story where that's, you know, you, you read the story and you go, that's what's being taught there, that, I, that authority matters. That if you maintain authority from God, you have to be under authority. It, it's a principle. There's another principle illustrated in the Garden of Eden. And it is the principle of freedom. And it goes like this. Maximum freedom is found under God's authority. That if you want maximum freedom in this life, that you should stay under God's authority. See, the moment you move out from under God's authority, in that moment you begin losing freedoms. But see, intuitively we don't think that way. Intuitively what we think is, authority here, if I get out from under it, I have freedom. Right? That's the way we think. And we carry that thinking into the way we relate to God. God, I don't like your laws. I don't like what you're telling me to do. I want to move out from under it and I want freedom. And the moment we do that, we begin to lose our freedoms. God says, no, your ways are not my ways. 
Your thoughts are not my thoughts. And what's amazing is this book is packed full of principles. And the more familiar we become with the principles of God, the easier it is to discern and figure out the will of God. Listen, every every single decision that you are going to make in some capacity, they're going to cross with the principle in this book. I, don't, I mean, whatever it is that you've got on your plate that you've got to make a decision about, I'd say the odds are pretty good that we could probably track down a principle somewhere that would speak to that. And so we've got to read this book differently. We've got to stop just looking for promises. We have to start looking for principles. Now, let me give you one last illustration uh, that's, that's a narrative that kind of explains the way God works. There's this story in the Old Testament when David has been anointed the next king of Israel and Saul happens to be the king at the time and he finds out that David's going to be the next king and David's kind of growing in popularity and Saul doesn't like David and Saul has his own son named Jonathan and he wants Jonathan to be the king so he determines that he's going to hunt David down and kill him. So he's, he's chasing David, you know, he's, he's after him and and uh, David and his men are on the lamb, and, and, and Saul is in hot pursuit. And David and his men come into the desert of En Gedi. And they find this cave, and they, they go back in. There's all these caves all through there. And they go back into this one cave, and they're all hunkered down, kind of waiting for, for, for Saul to pass by, you know. Well, it just so happens that as Saul is coming through the desert of En Gedi, he has to relieve himself. Okay, yeah, Bible characters had to do that too. And so he, he's going he's gonna to dismount and he's going to come into this cave. Guess what cave he walks into? He walks into the cave that David and his men are, are hidden back in and their eyes have already adjusted and Saul comes walking in and he can't see anything and now he's going to disrobe a little bit and he's going to do his business and David's men are behind him saying, this is the day that the Lord has made because he has just hand-delivered him to you. And he's got these guys behind him saying, look, what are the odds? What are the odds that, that we would go into a cave? What are the odds that he would have to go to the bathroom at this moment and come into our cave? What are the odds? David, you're never going to get him in a more prone position than he's in right now. This is your chance. We should strike. And David rattles off a principle the principle that he gives us is this you dare not replace what god has put in place you dare not replace what god has put in place what david said is i dare not lift my hand against god's anointed in other words what he's saying is god has a way i know that god has anointed me to be the next king i know my time is coming but my time is not yet and when god wants him to not be the king anymore he perfectly knows how to make that happen i am not going to do god's job for for him that's his job and i'm going to patiently wait i dare not lift my hand against god's anointed i will not replace what god has put in place it's a principle there are thousands of them in this book. So here's the last thing I would say to you this morning as we close. I, when I was a youth pastor, I, I used to teach this to the kids all the time. I would start it and they would finish it. We'd be in the van, I'd be driving, and I'd start it and they would, you know, they would roll their eyes like, oh, gee whiz, here he goes. But, but I, wanted them to, I wanted them to know, and I want you to know, 
Here's a principle, um, and I think it's borne out in Scripture. I don't, it's probably implied more than it's stated, but it might even be stated. Here's the principle. Life is a series of choices. Every choice has a consequence. Life is a series of choices. Every choice has a consequence. And here's what I know about everybody in the room. We all get choices. We've all made bad choices, right? Have we all made choices that we go, man, what was I thinking? What, what was going through my mind? And then once in a while, we get it right, don't we? Because even a blind squirrel finds a nut once in a while. Once in a while, we get it right. Life is a series of choices, and every choice has a consequence. Don't you think it would be very wise of us to say, God, I want to know your mind. I want to know your ways. And I want to make the best decision I can make because I have people that depend on me. I have little kids that depend on me. I have a family that depends on me. Whatever your circumstances and situation are, God, I want the story of my life to be told, and I want to be able to look back and say the decisions I made were wise decisions, were your decisions. Help me with that. God, I want, I want your principles. And if, if there are promises a part of it, great. But I really want your principles. As we do that, we're going to become the kind of people other people look up to and say, hey, could you help me make a decision? Could you tell me what you understand about the mind and the will of God? Can you imagine what that would feel like? Can you imagine how it would feel to help somebody like that? That's the prayer this morning. Let's pray. The band's going to come out and we'll sing. God, we give you thanks this morning. You, you allow us to make decisions. There's an awful lot of stuff that we, we are able to, to, uh, we're able to participate in. You, you, just, you allow us to, to have input. You allow us to live our life. There, we get, sometimes we do good and sometimes we really, really mess it up. Father, we love you. We want to support you. We, we want to we do the things that you want us to do. And so, Lord, this morning, very humbly, we, we just, we tell you that we need your help. And there, there probably are some decisions even in the room this morning that are fairly sizable. But there might be some people in here this morning scared to death at some of the things they've got to decide. Father, I pray that they would be able to hear your word and hear some of the principles they would be able maybe even after today that they would have a little better take on the way you would have them make a decision father your ways are not our ways and your thoughts are not our thoughts we want them to be help us to figure you out the way we figured out our parents by knowing your will by knowing how you think father we love you we give you thanks for the many ways that you take care of us we're humbled by you and your love for us in Jesus' name we pray.